Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast for the first time in a little while. We get to celebrate a Knicks win 116 to 96 over the Sacramento Kings. Alex, what are we getting into? Yeah, it turns out the the cure for losing six out of your last seven is to face a team that's lost 11 out of their last 13. We're going to talk about Quentin Grimes, another fantastic performance off the bench for him. Talk about where he fits into the uh, the Knicks young player rankings after this recent hot stretch and what he's been showing on the floor. We're going to talk some about a great Obi Toppin game, also a great Mitchell Robinson game, also a great Julius Randle game, also a great Evan Fournier game. It was a great everybody game. So for once, we get to kind of just gush about the Knicks for a game. It's going to be a great time. Coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. And you know what? I always start this by encouraging you all to go subscribe on YouTube. I will continue to do that. But I want to thank all of you who have. Uh, we were quickly approaching 1,000 followers. I think, Alex, somewhere around 930 subscribers right now. Something like that, yeah. So another 70 or so people, and we'll be uh, we'll be in that, that four-figure space. Pretty exciting stuff. Again, number 1,000 gets a free Benji Ritholt scouting report. Alex and I will, uh, if it's in a post-COVID world, maybe even if it's an in-COVID world, show up for the game. Uh, so please, please, please get us up to 1,000. But again, we really appreciate all the support on YouTube. We've been popping off on there. If you haven't yet, please go check us out. We, we had one fan comment, Alex, that he'd been watching for a year, and he said, oh, this is what you guys look like. And then you commented, better or worse, and we're still awaiting a response. So I'm stomach clenched. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I don't know what we're going to hear there. Yeah, I guess we'll see soon enough. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, anyways, uh, I've, I've yet to introduce it. So I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And the New York Knicks are winners once again, as Mike Breen put it. They had a lead in this game for the first time in a week, and they held on to it, a 116-96 to victory over the Sacramento Kings. Um, but we are going to start with a bigger picture discussion on one Quinton Grimes, who had a fantastic game tonight, 14 points, four rebounds, three steals. He stole uh, Tyrese Halliburton's ankles, uh, was was counted as one of those steals. Um, and it sort of inspired a thought in my head, because Alex, we always do these big picture episodes, ranking the Knicks' future assets, ranking their young prospects. And it's always an Emmanuel Quickly versus R.J. Barrett battle. But has Quentin Grimes, with his recent play, inserted himself into that conversation? Is there a world in a year where we're saying Quentin Grimes, despite the relative lack of pedigree compared to RJ, is the Knicks' clear-cut number one prospect going forward? Yeah, I guess it just depends on how you define value, right? Like, RJ, I feel like, still has a degree of mystery box to him. And I think, I think there's sort of like a world where basically right now Grimes is showing like he might already have refined down some of the things that it took RJ two to three years to really perfect in the course of his first half of his NBA season, you know, of his first NBA season. 
So I, I think in that regard, you know, like the fact that he's already a very, very good three-point shooter uh, and a just elite defender, uh, you know, I, I, I won't sugarcoat it or, you know, downplay it just because he's a rookie. Like, I mean, he's he's playing fantastic on defense. I mean, he looks... He looks like a future potential all NBA player, to be honest. You know, all, all, all like defense. Dark. You mean? Or yeah, all defense. I mean to say, yeah, maybe like, all wow, NBA. Wow, you, wow, you're really hot. <laughs> <laughs> maybe all NBA. Yeah, sorry, all defense, not all NBA. Um, but anyway, he looks like potentially a future all defense player, and uh, you know, it's. It, I I think that there's a world where you know if you're setting ceilings for these guys, I still think that RJ Barrett could be a potential Jimmy Butler, you know what I mean? Like a do-it-all guy who plays great defense, who can break down defenses, who can, you know, set up his teammates some, who can score from three levels potentially. Um, although Jimmy has always struggled with the three-point shot, I don't think that'll be the case for RJ going forward. But w- with Grimes, it's like he's flashing some off-the-dribble stuff, so maybe there is something there. But, you know, you can almost see more of a mold of like a like a Clay Thompson or something with him where it's, you know, he's more focused on just outside shooting and defense and doing those at the highest level possible. And of course, we're talking about ceiling comparisons for these. So this isn't like what I think is most likely for these guys, but just something that I could see happening if everything breaks the right way. I think that at this point, you know, you could almost make a case based off the consistency that he's shown as a rookie so far that maybe Grimes is ceiling and standing in the pecking order is like more attainable like his ceiling seems more in reach than any other player on the Knicks because of how good he's been as a rookie already and in that regard Gavin maybe he could set just by virtue of the fact that you can see clearly a path for him where there's no fog on the road you know it's like you could see the end you can see where he's probably going to get and unless something comes in at the last minute he's probably going to get there whereas it's a lot more foggy and murky with guys like RJ quickly, Mitch, even if you want to keep including him, Obi, you know, a lot of different things have to fall into place for those guys. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting in that he he knows who he is in a way that RJ and quickly don't, or or even maybe the better way to phrase it is he can execute on who he is in a way that RJ and IQ can't. And just the, I mean, to your point, the, the mastery of all these different elements of the game, maybe mastery is too strong, but, but the core competency in so many different elements of his game, like obviously the shooting, the off ball movement is already really, really good. His ability to run through multiple screens, catch and very quickly set his feet and get off a good shot is at an extremely high level for such a young player. I mean, today we saw, we saw, again, the ability to attack a closeout, got one to beat the shot clock, got one where he, as I noted earlier, absolutely dusted um, Tyrese Halliburton. It was like a hesitation into a between the legs, into a crossover, blow by, layup, uh, just just nasty, nasty stuff. And I think what, what I like about him is just like physically he's so solid in a way that, I mean, I mean to me that's like obviously that's quickly his biggest issue is that he, he can't just like blow by guys and like bounce off guys. And RJ is obviously super duper strong, but you don't always trust him around the rim. And granted, RJ's asked to do um, what, what RJ's asked to do around the rim is a million times more difficult than what Grimes is asked to do. But the whole brilliance of Grimes's game is for his entire career, he's going to be getting those super hard closeouts. And it's never going to be as difficult for him as it is for RJ around the rim because of that. So I, I still I, I think what you were hinting at with Grimes is does he have the same star equity of someone like RJ? 
I'm not quite there yet. Like, like we're going to need uh, a greater run of sustained high level play for him. But I think his floor is, I, I would go so far as to say his floor is already higher than RJ Barrett's or Emmanuel Quickly's. And I think the ceiling might be higher than we think because it feels like every single game with him, I, I'm, I'm sort of ready to call him as he is like, oh, he's like early in the years. Like, oh, he's just a shooter. Oh, he's a shooter, but he can pass a little bit. Oh, he's a shooter who can occasionally attack a closeout. Oh, maybe maybe he's also an elite defender. Maybe he's someone who could eventually go one-on-one. It feels like every time you set an expectation for him, you, you see something that makes you sort of question it. And that's exactly what you want out of a rookie. And, and that's what has me so excited about Quinn Grimes going forward. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's I definitely am in agreement with the the floor assessment. You know, I think that there's really something to be said for the fact that Grimes seems to have already established this baseline of like, no matter what, he's probably going to be at least a 10 to $15 million player in this league. You know, if we're just basing purely on dollars and cents, like he's it, until the day that he wants to retire, probably he's going to be a, a 10 to $15 million player in the NBA. If he makes minimal improvements to his game and just makes fine refinements and doesn't, you know, showcase some of those things that once made him a top 10 recruit, you know, that, that we talk about, and you know sometimes goes forgotten like he was in the class that rj barrett was number one and zion williamson was you know by consensus like number five usually cam reddish was like number two or three uh you had uh, quentin grimes down there at number eight on most uh you know rankings and stuff like on espn so you know there is some upside there for sure and i, I guess we'll just see if it if it winds up shining through there certainly have been some flashes where it makes you go oh he has that like, oh, he can he can attack a closeout like that and get inside and finish in a layup. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like much, but that's a, a, a relatively easy skill that not a lot of guys have uh, or at least, you know, the very best three and D guys have that skill. And, you know, then flashes the passing and uh, all the various other skills that he has. It's it's definitely there's a case to be made that he does have the highest floor of any player on the team. And I'm excited to watch him this back half of the season because. No matter what happens, the Knicks have, uh, and Tibbs more specifically, has shown that you know he has a role on this team, and uh, uh, that's exciting considering he's a rookie, and that's not something that Tibbs is always known for. Yeah, and then it's you couldn't have asked for a better start from him. All right, uh, let's let's quickly take a break, and we'll come back and maybe talk some Obi Toppin and some of the other fantastic performers in this Knicks blowout. Wow, that feels good to say. But first, people think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes. But for TurboTax Live experts, that's what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you invest in crypto for the first time in, or whether you invested in crypto for the first time this year, own an up and coming small business or are raising rambunctious twins. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer your tax questions, walk you through the whole process or do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction you deserve, no matter your unique situation. And you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or computer without leaving your house. TurboTax Live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you need an extra hand, hand off your taxes to them and they'll do it all for you. To TurboTax Live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes. Into it, TurboTax Live. And this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure often pointless or intimidating questioning about your car and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only brand their warehouse carries? 
And I mean, you have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why would you want to deal with all that stress? You could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, there's a Honda Odyssey fuel pump you can get for $353 from a chain store, just $216 from rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet for your car. So go check out their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you if you decide to pick up a part. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. All right, and we're back talking about this great 116 to 96 win by the Knicks over the Sacramento Kings. And of course, Gavin, we've been talking a lot about trades lately. I feel like a lot of our shows have been about what trades are the Knicks going to make? Who could they potentially make them with? And of course, part of that is just that we have such a great network of other hosts uh, here to call upon. So we've been taking full advantage of and talking to our other locked on coworkers and getting takes on their teams and who they might want on the Knicks and whatever. But games like this one sort of make you think, and you know, you had said uh, our buddy Benji, you know, had said on Twitter too, like even the Bucks game, they really, I mean, up until the very end when Giannis just kind of went God mode, they actually played pretty well in that game too. Uh, and we're, we're kind of holding their own. So do games like this sort of change where the Knicks are as far as trading guys? Like there's a, quite frankly, good game out of Julius Randle here do anything for his status leading up to the trade deadline? Because we're now, I mean, it's it's getting late quick on the trade deadline here. We're now a week and three days away. Uh, it's, it's a week from this Thursday till the trade deadline. So, you know, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made over the next week and change. If the Knicks go on one of their little streaks of good play here, I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Do you think that they're that things are already set in stone or do you think that, you know, that like they've already just the front office already decided who they're going to trade. Or do you think that maybe the Knicks have a chance of sort of playing their way into sticking together in a way uh, with this and, and proving to the front office that maybe things aren't as bad as they think. Yeah. For me, it was, it was partially Randall's play. A bigger part of it was how he was used and how the guys around him were used. I mean, this was something I, you, you mentioned, Benji, him and our, our other guy, Tom Piccolo, were both talking about this on Twitter. And I thought it was a fantastic point that the Knicks, I mean, maybe taking advantage of their two days off to change some things up, were stationing uh, Nerland's Noel in the corner a lot. And that got Randall some opportunities to work as a role man. I mean, the first time the Knicks tried it, he, he got, a, got a little pocket pass from Burks and went right to the rim for a dunk. That was pretty nice to see. Um, he had another one where he... Um, was used as a short roller, again, with Nerlens on the uh, perimeter, got at the elbow. The Kings immediately sent a double team his way, I think fearing what happened last time Randall got on the roll, and he just whipped a pass to the opposite corner to RJ, and RJ got an open three. And, and, And look, part of that, like, Julius deserves credit for just making the right play and instead of forcing something, just making a quick decision, making the next pass. And it's it's interesting because whenever we talk about Julius and we, we share our frustrations with him, we're like, God, why doesn't Tibbs just bench him? I mean, the reason Tibbs doesn't bench him is because he's the one guy on this team who can generate doubles and, and, and doubles generate open shots. And when utilized correctly, 
And and when you're dictating the terms of the double team by using Randall as a short roller, instead of him isoing and just getting doubled in a corner where he doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to, he can use the fact that he's a fantastic passer and the whole offense just runs a whole lot smoother. Like I still had my issues with him in this game. He still took some bad shots. Like one of the turnarounds he took just, just seems so like, I think Clyde even noted, just seems so janky and against just not at all like the smooth coordinated guy that we saw a year ago. So the problems are still there, but you use them in a different way. And, and frankly, like, I don't know if it's Miles Turner or if it's someone else down the road, but you, you find a stretch five who satisfies Tibbs's needs for rim protection. This shows you what Julius can be in that type of system. And, and again, I, I don't, I don't think it ultimately makes a difference. I think even if he sucked tonight, odds were realistically against him getting dealt at this deadline, but maybe the fact that the Knicks are, are seeing some encouraging signs granted against, I think far and away the worst defense in the NBA, maybe that, stems the tide a little bit for the moment yeah I just don't know how much it's going to play into their overall decision making like you know can a few games erase 40 you know and and that's my biggest issue and they're also coming off of going into this game losing six out of seven games some of which were pretty ugly some of which were close I mean honestly like the Cavs game was close the Timberwolves game was really close so some of them they've been right in it and maybe that rings is encouraging you know to the front office too that they're they were hanging with some teams that had been playing pretty well at the time and just kind of came up on the short end of the stick but I, I don't know I, I gotta feel like most of these decisions have been made though I agree with you that it it, it would be kind of frustrating if the Knicks finally found out how to use Randall in the proper way and Randall finally started embracing it and then they traded him <laughs> and you know, and then he got to go take all those tricks somewhere else and play that way for the Kings or whoever else. You know, we, we just talked to Matt George about potentially sending him to the Kings, and he seemed pretty enthusiastic about that idea. Uh, so if the Kings were enthusiastic about that and then decided to start using him that way and Julius leaned into it, then, you know, that would kind of stink for the Knicks to, you know, essentially sell low on the guy that was a second-team All-NBA player last year. But, yeah, I will say, like, a lot of the things, and we'll talk about this maybe in the next segment a little bit, you know, it does kind of feel like a lot of the problems sometimes come from Kemba Walker and how they use him or how they don't use him. And the fact that he kind of just becomes based off the role that he's being given, he sort of becomes a negative on both sides because he's not really doing the only things he's good at on offense, you know, as far as running pick and rolls and, and generating shots for himself that way and that sort of thing. And then on defense, he's obviously a huge liability. And I, I think that kind of sinks the the overall product a lot. So I still feel pretty confident that that Kemba's going to be gone. You know, I still feel pretty confident. I feel like someone like Burks is probably going to be gone. For example, we just saw Joe Ingles go down uh, for the Jazz with a a catastrophic ACL injury. You don't want to see that ever. But, you know, that that creates an opening and a need for them to get a wing in there that can, you know, shoot the three and do a lot of the things that Alec Burks does, plus the familiarity. So, like, maybe he ends up going there. I don't know, but I feel like he'll probably get shipped out for some sort of return. Maybe, though, there is a world where a week and a half of good play can potentially save Julius Randle's future with the Knicks for at least another half season, you know, until the till the offseason or something. I guess we'll see. The next week and a half are going to be really interesting, though, uh, to see where that all leads because I, I just – I don't know. I, I It's so hard to say, and I literally feel like we're not going to – because of how tight-lipped the Knicks front office is, I feel like we're not really going to know until – the trade deadline passes what's going to actually happen here. 
Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, I, I said this, but I want to emphasize it. What works against the Kings might not work against a yeah, lot of other teams in the NBA, um, and especially a depleted version of the Kings. Uh, the Knicks are probably not comfortable doing the same thing with Mitchell Robinson that they did with Nerlens Noel. I think because, remember, we were talking about those uh, much-hyped preseason reports that ultimately have not come to fruition, that Nerlens was working on his corner three this offseason, but Nerlens is like a little bit more like Slither. I don't know. It, it feels like more normal to have Nerlens out there than it would Mitch. Um, the fact is, like, if the Knicks want to play that way, like, they need credible spacing at the center spot because most teams, again, not the Kings, like, aren't going to really, like, respect Nerlens being out there. The perimeter will probably just slot a center at the rim. And, and you can do a little bit of that because you have to take into account that someone like Nerlens or Mitch could duck in and get a dunk. Um, but my point is, like, I, I don't think they've magically solved all their problems. I just think this was smarter usage for Randall, and it was especially encouraging to see that Randall bought into it because I, I think it's plausible that Tibbs has been trying to implement this stuff for a while. Randall's like, nah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take two dribbles and, and take a step back too with my foot on the three point line. Um, so who knows? But I, if he is here the rest of the season, and I think again, even if he had sucked today, I still think the more likely outcome is that he wasn't traded, and I still think the Knicks are, are probably looking for an offer for Julius that, given how he's played all year isn't all that feasible that they're going to get. So I, I think overwhelmingly likely he stays with the team. So uh, the upshot of this is maybe they're figuring out some stuff that'll make the rest of the season a little bit more palatable for us to watch. Yeah. And I certainly hope so. I love palatable. You know? <laughs> I'll take it. It's been less than palatable for a while. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Palatable is an improvement. You know, that's just barely uh scraping by is, is good enough for me as far as uh, uh, outcomes right now. But uh, I think we can take our second break here before we get into some more positives from this game. Because like we said, there's a lot of positives. Uh, but we wanted to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more odds. Whoa, BetOnline.net. My apologies. BetOnline.net has way more odds and info for this playoff season. From scores, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so moving right along, Gavin. I think uh, I think we've reached about time. We talked about Quentin Grimes, who was the one young star of this game. I think it's time to talk about Obi Toppin, the other young star of this game. RJ had a little bit of an off game, so maybe we'll give him an off night on <laughs> being uh, fawned over on Lockdown Knicks just for one night here. Uh, but I thought that Obi Toppin was fantastic. And I mean, you want to talk about Randall doing some new stuff you know, that's impressive. Obi kind of just did all the things that we know that he can do, but did them just as impressively. And it was just fun to watch because he got 20 minutes of run. You know, we don't often get to see him play a whole 20 minutes like that. And, you know, made some brilliant cuts, made a quick decision at the three point line at one point for his first bucket of the game to just, you know, put it on the floor. He really does that. Like, uh, I, I don't even know who to relate him to. I mean, okay. Not relating everything else to his game, although I'll relate something else to him in a second, but like that, Giannis type thing where he could just kind of take like two steps from the three-point line and be at the rim he sort of did that at one point with this quick decision to get to the inside and get a nice layup uh made a three up at the up at the elbow at one point that just looked like it had no business going in but he hit that one just because he was really feeling it at that time 
uh, had a nice, you know, transition dunk, uh, transition oop, I should say, on a feed from Alec Burks, which was great. And then the highlight, the creme de la creme of the OB experience in this game was he gets it on the on the perimeter, uh, takes it inside, does this beautiful head and ball fake, you know, a, a quick pass fake, like he's going to the corner to freeze one defender, then pulls off a Euro, sort of like brings it in with his left hand a little bit and acts like he's going to go up with his left and then transitions it back to his right and goes up for a layup. It was just a gorgeous sequence. And you're just like, man, that is that is some skill. Like that is that is something that he has worked on a lot and couldn't wait to try it out in game. And it just worked brilliantly. Again, with qualifier that it was against the medicine for all ales, the Sacramento Kings. But, you know, I thought it was pretty damn impressive, Gavin. I, I really loved Obi's game in this. And I thought that he had probably, even if Grimes maybe had the more, uh, the, the game that made us question things more, which we obviously did at the beginning of the show. I think that Obi had the most entertaining game of anybody on the floor tonight. Yeah, and and look, I just love the volume from him. Four drives to the basket. I don't know if he's ever had a game. In it. Like, I, I'm not counting him rolling to the rim and someone setting him up for a pass. I'm saying, like, him catching on a standstill, not part of a screen and roll, and, and attacking the rim. That I don't know if he's ever done that four times in the game. And he went three for four on them, to your point. I mean, he also, he also hit the three. Also did his, like, typical thing in the screen game where he set one where he didn't even make contact on it. And, and sort of, like, I, I really, like, I just loved, like, the coordination on this kind of rolled horizontally instead of directly to the rim. And he just gave quickly it, um, a, a avenue for a little like looping pocket pass, took it, went right to the basket, didn't even have to dribble um, for an up and under layup. And and you have, I mean, you talk about how this game from Grimes made us sort of question things. Like this game from Obi made me question things. I, I watch stuff like that. And I think that's not really a guy I want to trade. I want to see if, if there's more there. And, and it's interesting because I'll, I'll apply the, the same uh, compliment I applied to Grimes in reverse to Obi, where I said Grimes is, is never going to have a problem getting the rim. These teams are always going to have hard closeouts. I think Obi against teams that are not the Kings in, in games that are not blowouts, uh, the key to him doing this sustainably is getting that three-pointer up to 35 to 37%. It's looked a whole lot better for him the last five to seven games. But Alex, if he can maintain that over long stretches, all of a sudden defenders are going to have to respect the shot. And then you'll see this more and more from Obi. And where the Giannis comparison really rings home is he's a guy that once he gets some momentum going to the basket, you are extremely concerned if you're a defense because he can either dunk on your head or he can finish with finesse. And, and that's that's sort of the one elite skill that he boasted out of Dayton that's really carried over to the NBA. He has, he has fantastic touch around the rim. And, and if that shot comes along and if the handle, which is clearly much improved, continues to get tighter, um, he's going to be able to show it off a lot more than he has. Yeah, and if we want to lower the standard just a little bit from Giannis to someone who's also familiar, like games like these make me think about the the Amari comparisons. Like when he first came in and, you know, we were sort of like, wow, this is, you know, when we we're trying to talk ourselves into him, you know what I mean? Like when he first came to the Knicks, we're like, all right, if things really work out on offense, I mean, this guy's elite in pick and roll. You know, he's got good touch around the rim and he has what looks like could be a workable shot. And in the case of Omari, just different era of basketball, it was always that elbow jumper. In the case of Obi, you know, the key is going to be the the uh, ability to hit the three, you know. But he, the way that he cuts, the way that, you know, he just kind of has that, like, uh, as Clyde would say, the bulldozer finesse, you know, where he he looks like he's going like a, like a, a big steam engine in there. And then all of a sudden just, you know, pulls out this uh, move that you didn't think that he would be able to pull off and, and finishes so beautifully or 
throws down a thunderous dunk, but with a level of grace to it that you didn't really think was possible, like with his little up and under move, whatever. Uh, these are the sort of games that, yeah, to, uh, definitely make me think very lofty for Obi. And, you know, again, as we approach the trade deadline, you know, if if the thing does come to fruition and they do end up trading Julius Randle, whose name has entered trade discussions, I'll be really intrigued to see how much, uh, how much uh, latitude they give Obi the rest of the year to see if he could try some of these things out and start really expanding his game. But even if they don't trade Randall, I hope that we get some more games like this one where Obi gets chances to try these things out and really improve his game. Because I I think that, you know, when we see nights like this, we see clearly all the work that he's putting into the various things in his game. And it's, it's a ton of fun to see. Um, I wanted to real quick shout out Evan Fournier who started off like, like a man on fire in this game. Uh, he had, he wound up not doing too much more after that, uh, but had 16 points uh, on six of six shooting to open this game four or four from three was absolutely on fire. I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he basically carried the Knicks through the first half to two thirds of the first quarter uh, when the rest of the team was having a little bit of a hard time getting things going. He kept them neck and neck with the Kings by himself and had them either like tied or slightly in the lead uh, for pretty much that whole first quarter or, or, you know, whole like first half of the first quarter. And then the rest of the Knicks were able to kind of find their game and get going. And uh, the biggest thing, and, you know, I feel like we're almost like broken records at this point. We've reached that point of the season where like we start saying the same things sometimes because you got to, you got to play the hits, Alex. Yeah. You got to play the hits, I guess. But you know, it's, it's just, when he plays decisive and like he knows that he knows how to shoot, you know, like it makes such a huge difference because it, it, that's all it takes with him. It's just that he does things in rhythm and doesn't take that split second moment of hesitation where it looks like you could see the wheels turning and the steam coming out of his ears where he can't decide if he wants to shoot the ball or not. Um, you know, when he just grabs it and shoots it, life goes so much better for everybody involved. Uh, and so I was really happy to see him open the game that way. And, Honestly, for uh, I I think that you said this on Twitter. I, I saw, uh, you know, for all the problems that the Knicks have had recently, like Fournier has not really been one of them, and that's kind of a nice thing to say. He, I think he's really started to find himself, which is good. Yeah, I mean, he he couldn't have been much better to start this game. The guy, I mean, we've said it a bunch of times. He he is an elite shooter. He hasn't always shown that this year, but that's that's who he is. And I mean, frankly, I've loved like and and he noted i mean similar to rj with the stomach bug that he was dealing with if i'm remembering correctly it was a shoulder injury and then maybe a rib injury earlier this year and i think um, and then a bad stake and then a bad, and, and that, that that's what really brought him down uh maybe uh maybe he'll follow chris paul's direction and go vegan but either way um he he was been uh much better defensively i think over the last 10 to 12 games like i know that's something like talking about playing the hits that that was our the hit of this podcast the first 35 games of the season us uh moaning and groaning uh to use a clydeism about Fournier's defense if that's not a Clydeism it should be um but he he got two really good steals in this one's like uh like just strong hands to strip uh Chemezi Metu who's a much bigger player and then had another nice play where I think it was I'm, I'm not quite sure it was one of the Kings guards but just really good ball denial jumped the passing lane got the steal had like a nice drive uh for his final points in the second half uh just showing off the the full extent of his skill set and and playing his ass off which the Knicks need more of so uh salute to Evan Fournier if he if he is a Nick past the deadline I hope he keeps this up. If he's not a Nick past the deadline, it's probably because of how, how hard he's been playing and how well he's been playing uh, the last few weeks. Again, there, there are nights where that isn't true, but by and large, he has been who he has always been throughout his career. And that is all we can ask out of Evan Fournier. Um, 
I'm going to switch it up and go go negative a little bit because we, we've been pretty much all positive so far. Uh, Kemba Walker is is once again lost, Alex. Uh, 17 minutes in this one, 0 for 2 from the field, just one assist, did have one steal, did not score a, a single point. Um, and it feels like it, it's weird. for He comes back uh, after Derrick Rose gets hurt and the Knicks have a bunch of COVID absences. And and Tibbs was like, all right, you know, what? let's just let uh, let's just let Kemba be Kemba. And he's running pick and roll. He's bombing threes. He looks incredible. And now it's like he doesn't get to do anything like like there aren't any screens for him. He sort of just passes it off and the Knicks start off whatever set they're going to run. And um, I can't remember. We said this on Twitter, but I sort of agree with it. Like Tibbs is a real tendency to just ride the hot hand. And I think that's what Fournier was complaining about earlier in the season where he's like, our offense really has no rhythm because it feels like when one guy starts shooting well, that that becomes the entire offense instead of it being sort of egalitarian, which I think was what we were hoping for in the preseason. And because of that, it feels like Kemba never has a chance to find rhythm. And I, I don't really blame him. I, I don't think there's much he can do. And when you rob him of being that on-ball creator, he, he's reduced to an undersized off-ball shooter that doesn't get the ball a whole lot and, and can't really do much defensively. Yeah, and you know, so it's it's sort of like, I think, sort of blame goes around. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think that there just there's been times where he hasn't seemed assertive enough to want to take the reins. You know what I mean? And maybe that is a Tibbs thing. Maybe it's not. I, I don't know where the blame goes, but ultimately, I think that the one thing that we can agree on at this point, like, it was fun while it lasted, but I think the Kemba experiment is pretty much over. Um, if, if we're talking about guys that were fairly certain are probably not going to be on the team past the trading deadline, I think Kem is probably one of them. Because if he's not if he's not going to be uh, traded, which hopefully the Knicks are able to even just send him somewhere for free, basically, uh, which would be beneficial to them because then that opens up more potential playing time for quickly. Derek Rose will be coming back after the, the All-Star break, probably, from what it sounds like. So, you know, that, that'll free up that playing time. You know... If they don't trade him, I think they're probably going to buy him out. And, and, you know, it's just, it's like you said, you know, it's just, it seems like there's a fundamental disconnect between how Kemba plays and how he's always played, how he wants to play, and how Tibbs kind of wants to use him, how the Knicks offense wants to run. Uh, and the fact that Tibbs also doesn't seem to want to entertain the idea of like anything but Kemba as a starter. So doesn't even want to entertain the idea of like, oh, let Kemba just come in and run it off the bench with like Obi or whatever, and run more pick and rolls and generate more offense for himself and for like Obi Toppin and, you know, to kick out shooters on the perimeter and just kind of have him run the show that way. That doesn't seem that's like does not compute for Tibbs. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of it's like he's got to start and be effective or nothing. And as of right now, it's kind of just been nothing. We had the fun few games and December, early January, whatever. But seems like the I guess second honeymoon is over. First honeymoon was after he got signed. Second honeymoon was when he came back from getting benched. Now we're getting divorced for a second time, I guess, because <laughs> I, I think it's pretty much over at this point. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think he's long for the for the Knicks world, unfortunately. And I, I think, I think he's gonna have some moments for another team, and I, and I hope that for him because he, he's a fantastic teammate. You saw it again in this game. Like he was, like I love, like he was genuinely like ecstatic after Grimes pulled off that move out of Halliburton. And I just, I looked at that and I was like. I mean, what, what a good dude, what, what a leader, like I, he would have every right to be kind of pissy with the way things are going. And he's, that's just not Kemba Walker. So wherever he ends up, uh, I'm, I'm certainly uh, rooting for him. Um, but Alex, was there anyone else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? 
I just wanted a real quick shout out Mitchell Robinson. You know, I think that we've definitely we've given him crap when he's had bad games and particularly against some guys that we've considered to be sort of his like equals, like his peers, you know, that have gotten paid similar to what we think that he's probably looking to get paid this year. And like Robert Williams really like, you know, beat him up a couple games earlier this year. Miles Turner has really kind of like had his way with him. Um, I don't recall if we got to see Jared Allen versus Mitch at all. Uh, I don't think so yet, but I mean, that's another guy like Jared Allen's having a fantastic year. Uh, and you know, Mitch has had his ups and downs. Rashawn Holmes though, on the Kings is another guy that's been compared to Mitch for a while. Um, and in this game, I thought that Mitch really like soundly outplayed him. He just was too big, too strong, you know, too imposing for Holmes to really take advantage of this matchup at all. And as a result, you saw Holmes, in 26 minutes, team low, minus 22 for the Kings. And Mitch, uh, not a team high, thanks to some of the exploits of the bench guys, including Alec Burks, who somehow was the leading scorer of the team we like didn't even mention, but had a very quiet 21 points for Alec Burks in this game. But Mitch ends up with a plus 13 uh, to lead all the starters, at least. And honestly, I thought that he had he had so many of the Kings players running scared. Halliburton, you know, uh, uh Davion Mitchell, you know, all these guys that were trying to get inside. He, at a certain point, instilled a lot of fear in them. And it really affected, I think, the Kings' offensive strategy and and their ability to get into the lane safely. So big props to Mitch. I thought it was a really good game for him. Great dominant performance on the boards and a really great defensive effort for him. But, yeah. I was going to say quickly, he destroyed Davion Mitchell on a block that moved him. And I I thought this was nuts. Into fifth all time on the Knicks shot blocking list. Mm That's kind of crazy that the, the Knicks just, I mean, a part of it is that I think Blox's statistic weren't kept until 1975. So someone like Willis Reed and probably some other uh, older Knicks would be in that conversation, if not for that. Uh, but looking at the list, it was so funny because it was everyone like 300, 300, 500, 500. And Patrick Ewing was 2,600. Um, yeah. So Mitch, probably not going to catch that. But uh, he passed Marcus Camby, who was in the building and had a very awkward interview with Rebecca Harlow, where he was just talking about the nature of, of the modern game and then was advertising his beer, which apparently is like Blue Moon, but better, which sounds fantastic. But it was which, which it, is really he clearly has not drank the beer because he said it's a Northeast IPA and then compared it to Blue Moon, which is a uh, not an IPA. I forget what Blue Moon is considered, but it's like a, a Pilsner or a lager or something, hmm. um, but very different from a Northeast IPA with citrus notes in it. So I don't think he really knows his beer too well, but yeah. he knows his own beer and he knows to promote it, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it was great. I, I thought it was weird that they chose to do that over the action and the interview went on for like four minutes. But yeah. uh, I guess I guess the Kings were, were the team to uh, to pull that out against. But anyways, um, on that happy note, I think we can wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, please, if you haven't, one more time, go subscribe on YouTube. Go order yourself uh, some of Marcus Camby's beer. If you're so inclined, maybe you can figure out exactly what it is. Um, but until next time, which will be... Uh, day from now. Uh, Peace out and uh, we'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.